0: Luke chapter 1. We're coming up to the end of the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. If you feel like, boy, after all this time, we've only made it through one chapter. Well, remember, there's 80 verses. We're going to start with verse 57 tonight. We do have some sheets for you. Uh, Appreciate Lloyd and Jimmy passing out some papers for us just a little while ago. And so, uh, if you need any more, there are some, I think there were still some at one time, maybe there's not, I don't see them now. So look on with a friend if you want. Uh, we've got some um, some blanks to fill in tonight as always, uh, but we come to a passage that if we're uh, perhaps, you know, if we're, if we're really honest, sometimes is not as focused on, it's stuck after the angel's visit to Mary and it comes before what we classically think of as the main Christmas passage, Luke chapter 2. Uh, and it includes one of those songs, one of those poems at the very end of it. And sometimes we're a little bit uncomfortable with that, especially us men in here. If we're real honest, we say, I don't know if I'm ready to lean into the poetry yet, so, uh, but I think you'll enjoy it tonight. Zachariah is able to say something in his song, his, uh, his, his poem, whatever you want to call it, that, uh, that's powerful. And so we're going to get there tonight as well. Let me show you a few pictures first. And let's just kind of get, you know, thinking a few things tonight as we look at the passage. So if you want some visuals to kind of help you as we begin here. I don't know if you can see this real well, but this is a tablet uh, from, the, from the first century. Never needed recharging. You didn't have to plug it in at night. It was just a tablet ready to go. I don't know if you can tell it was at one time it had a wooden border and it had a, a basically a, a section of wax over the middle. And so you would write on that wax... And, uh, and I don't know how you reset it. I'm guessing if you did this, it wouldn't, wouldn't reset again. It wasn't an Etch-A-Sketch. So uh, you, would, you would maybe write on it one time and perhaps that was it. Or maybe you, you know, would heat it up and it would melt back. I have no idea. But this is one that's uh, come to us where a stylus, some sort of metal stylus, you could write on that tablet. This may have been the kind of tablet that Zechariah used to write, his name is John, as the relatives are questioning uh, what the name of the baby is going to be. And you'll see that all the hill country of Judea is going to be talking about this baby that's been born, and the fact that they named him John, and the fact that there's some miraculous things taking place here. Uh, it's going to be the subject, the talk of the town for uh, for this hill country in uh, in Judah. From from where we can best gauge the tradition and the history of where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived, it would have been in this uh, general area, pretty area, but probably would be a little bit of a tough hike, you know, back and forth across all this, but news travels quickly. We're going to see several themes in the passage tonight about, uh, particularly in Zechariah's poem, his response back to what's taken place. And one of the themes there is going to be redemption. And uh, one of the realities that we remember about the ancient world is the reality of slavery being a present, everyday uh, just, just reality, something that was just there in the ancient world. Uh, it was really almost unthinkable for the people of that time to consider that that would no longer be a part of society. Uh, but at the same time, the Bible uses language throughout to speak about redemption. And at times even to speak about what we would probably call emancipation, the setting free of those who are captive. Jesus, when he begins his earthly ministry, you might remember a few weeks back, he stands up and as he reads from Isaiah, that's one of the things he says, I've come to declare freedom for the captives. In Delphi or Delphi, depending on which way you pronounce it, Delphi, I think is the more prophet. Uh, more proper way to say it. But you know, here in the South, we just say things like we want, don't we? So you might have heard it either way. Delphi or Delphi. This is a, um, a wall that is located in, in that area. Delphi, you might remember Paul having uh, an interaction with a lady who had a, uh, a, an evil spirit and she was around probably in the temple of the, the Oracle of Delphi. Anyway, this is a wall that was put up in Delphi and on it, is listed the names of somewhere between 800 and 1,000 slaves who were emancipated, who were set free on the heels of taking part in building this wall. If I understand my story correctly, you can kind of make out here at a close-up those names that just go right across. Almost picture something like uh, the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C., where there's just, as you get close, these names that just cover the, the whole of it. Other things that are pieces of archaeology through the years, uh, you have got some language from Zechariah in, the, in, the, in his response, his poem, for lack of a better term tonight. And as he gives that, he speaks about freedom from enemies and those who hate us is the words that he uses. And you can see, as you look backward in archaeology, some of the things that people in that day would have been dealing with. This is uh, a relief uh, sculpture of um, the Assyrians, coming in and attacking uh, Judea. And so there would have been places, uh, both the northern kingdom of Israel where there was more impact and even to some extent uh, in the south, there's historical records that might have lined different buildings and otherwise about uh, the conquering of other peoples and the Hebrew peoples were no different than that. As well as that, this is a model uh, showing the uh, the siege of Jerusalem that several times in, in some sense the Romans had conquered uh, Jerusalem, that they had taken taken it over in sort of a uh, conquering that allowed them to still have much of their uh, religion and much of their society. In 70 AD, they would then destroy Jerusalem essentially completely, and Israel did not recover from that until 1948. And so you've got uh, this, this incredible impact of foreign powers uh, in, in the days just after the defeat of Jerusalem, this is an arch that you can still go see in Rome today, the Arch of Titus uh, that I believe was built somewhere around 90 AD by the emperor then to honor uh, the emperor that had come before who had destroyed Jerusalem. Can you tell what these Roman soldiers are carrying as they're going away in the spoils of victory? You might see a menorah, you might see the table of the waybread. bread, uh, you've got uh, the silver trumpets that are being taken out of the temple. And so a way that the, the, uh, the, 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 the centuries would show uh, the conquering, the, um, the, uh, the defeat of the people. Uh, the show bread, did I say waybread? bread? I'm not sure that's correct. Uh, y'all forgive me, either one, but you've got the, uh, the items there uh, of, the, of the temple that are being carried out by the conqueror. So then you come to the promises that are to come. This is from the scroll of Isaiah, from the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, that was from even before the time where Jesus came uh, to the earth. You've got a a verse that in essence will be fulfilled and referenced tonight, Isaiah 40. If you were to read the Hebrew, which I cannot uh, do very well here, the voice of one that crieth, prepare ye in the wilderness the way of Jehovah, make level in the desert a highway for our God, that this Scripture will be fulfilled in the person of John the Baptist. You've got here Isaiah 9-2, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Zechariah will reference the need for the light of God and that that light is coming through the salvation from the line of David that will come. Now, neither Zechariah nor Elizabeth were in the line of David, and so Zechariah is speaking at that point, not even about John the Baptist, his son, but about Jesus. And then Isaiah 60, uh, verses 1 and 2, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of Jehovah is risen upon thee. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the peoples. But Jehovah will arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. You've got all these ancient words, ever true, which are coming true uh, in the birth of not only John the Baptist, uh, but in Jesus and then you've got this nice aside afterwards at the end of the passage that John the Baptist uh, went out into the wilderness pretty young, probably at a young age. Some of y'all got kids and grandkids that they're outdoor kids. Uh, they're, you know, they're already ready. I've talked to a few kids since I've been here who, you know, I, I'm 42. I still haven't killed a deer with anything but my car. And, uh, and, and some of them, some of them have already, you know, they've, they've already got some good experience in all that realm. And so John was one of those who was in the wilderness at a young age. Now, I don't know where you are okay with your kids playing, but uh, that's quite a landscape. At a young age, John was, uh, was out getting used to the wilderness, the wilderness of, of Judea, which seems like no, uh, no small place. But for a man and a woman who had waited so long, uh, God answers their prayers in the theme of mercy is wrapped throughout this passage tonight. So why don't we say a word of prayer and we'll begin reading our passage this evening. Father, thank you so much that we have never once had to walk alone when we've known Jesus Christ. And so Lord, I just ask tonight that you'd speak through your word, that you would enlighten our hearts, our ears, our eyes, and our hands uh, for uh, the ability to do your will and the ability to know your tender mercy as the passage says tonight. Thank you, Lord. We look to you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, got a few things on the sheet, and for time's sake, I'm gonna try to walk down these fairly, you know, with a concern on time, because I know we've got several items tonight uh, to walk through, and so I wanna be able to do that. Let's go ahead and give you number one right off the bat. One of the major words to come up in this passage is mercy. One of the major words to come up in this passage is mercy, One of the major words to come up in this passage is mercy. We'll see this again and again. Now, just to deal with a few things right off the bat, which are somewhat interesting, if you lift your eyes to verse 56, it says that Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. (laughs) Now, scholars are a little split on this. Um, Just because Luke says that Mary returned home in verse 56 doesn't necessarily mean that she returned home before the birth of Elizabeth. excuse me, the birth of John through Elizabeth. Now, you might imagine if you were nice enough to let somebody stay with you for three months and they said, oh, you're about to have that baby, I got somewhere to be, I'm going home, Uh, you might not feel as good about that. Perhaps Mary went home before John was born, but I tend to think it's more likely that Mary remained through John's birth and then uh, right around that time when everything was getting settled, Uh, She went back home. Either way, the the Bible doesn't specifically say, but we're reminded that the Bible's not always written strictly chronologically, uh, but sometimes weaves in and out just a bit. And so Mary, uh, if you're losing any respect for Mary going home early, don't tonight. You don't have a clear way, clear reason to do that. But the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. That the birth of this child was something that was celebrated by a, a great many people. You know, one of the things that I found out when I became a pastor is that far more people uh, walk through some level of infertility than I ever knew uh, existed just in, in, you know, from being outside of the ministry. When you got a chance to hear from folks who say, you know, we've been hoping this long, we've been praying this long, and it just hasn't happened, or we hoped in this way or that way. Um... The people around Elizabeth recognized that they had wanted a child for a long time, and it hadn't happened. And there were probably times that they misspoke, and there were probably times that early in Elizabeth and uh, Zechariah's marriage, people kept coming up to them saying, now when y'all going to have kids, it's time. You know, I think it'd be nice if the little pitter-patter of feet was running around, you know, y'all's house. And, you know, sometimes even though people are well-meaning, that can be something really hard when folks are walking through things that people might not know with, with hoping and praying for that, but it just not coming as fast as they would like. But the entire community recognized God's mercy was at hand in the birth of this child. The Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. I, I know I've said several times before, you know what rejoicing is, right? It's joy out loud. They had a celebration with Elizabeth and with Zechariah. Uh, to be able to celebrate the baby uh, that had come. And, and I love this. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And at that point, the child had no name. Now, this happens several times in the Bible, so much so that we, we believe now that it may have been a very common practice for a child not to receive a name uh, until the eighth day. Uh, and so imagine what that'd be like for those first eight days. You, there was an old Jimmy Stewart movie that I love called Shenandoah. I don't know if any of y'all have ever seen that. But uh, early on in the movie Shenandoah, Jimmy Stewart gives this monologue. And my bad, Jimmy Stewart impersonation. It was something like this. Uh, we had um, Sarah, Joseph, Harley, Beaufort, And then she had the boy. <laughs> and when Martha had the boy, she went home to be with the Lord this child that had a name, but throughout the movie, they just called him the boy. And so maybe for John's first eight days, he was just simply the boy. Bring me the boy. You know, we got to change the boy. We've got to feed the boy. And on the eighth day, they brought this child to be named. And what everybody else didn't realize was this child already had a name. Before Elizabeth, before Zechariah had thought of what they thought their name would, the name would be, this child was already named by the Lord. The second thing that I've got here for you tonight, and Zechariah and Elizabeth realized that God named their child, and it wasn't up to them. That God had named their child, and it wasn't up to them. Verse 60, his mother answered to the people, Uh, You know, they're saying, imagine having people around and say, well, you can't name your child this. Some of y'all might've had parents or in-laws that told you that basically, but it's not a normal thing for people to say, well, you can't name your kid this. You don't. And they said, no, he shall be called John is what his mother says. We're, we are going to call him. He will be called or he shall be called John. And so they have this, you know, well, what, what in the world is this? And then I love this in verse 62. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. Now, from the words that are used and every indication that we have, Zechariah wasn't deaf. He was mute. Some of y'all are, are getting enough age on you that your adult kids start to talk about you when you're in the room. Y- y'all had that yet? You know? It's just like you're not even there, right? You know, they just discuss you right in front. And so... You, you can, if you've ever been somewhere and somebody perhaps doesn't have English as the first language and when you said whatever you said the first time, you don't know what to do and they didn't understand you, so what do you do? You say the same thing louder because if you can say it louder, that means people will understand it now, right? And so imagine Zechariah perfectly able to hear from everything that we can tell when people start going up and they're, they're making signs, you know, just to try, just tell me, I can hear you, you know. So Zechariah gets a writing tablet and he writes down his name is John. Different verb tense than his wife had used. Not only is John's name going to be John, it already is John. Zechariah realizes from the point that the angel told him his name, from the point God revealed that that was the child's name. And if other people want to call him by a different name, if somehow they would want to call him by a different name, it wasn't up to them. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a a lot of hope in that for me as a parent, for you as a grandparent, that God's signature is on our families in ways that other people can't mess with and control. And a lot of you in here are praying big prayers for people in your family right now. And there's needs and there's tough things and there's ways that people need to to get right or, or otherwise. But what a blessing to know that nobody can unstamp the handprint, the fingerprint, the signature of God in our lives and the lives of those that we love. Zechariah and Elizabeth knew that God had named their child and it wasn't up to them. And so they said, he'll be called John. John comes out of the, uh, the name Yohanan, uh, which is a name that's used in the Old Testament. You'll see it several times. Uh, I believe it means Yahweh is gracious, if I'm remembering correctly. And so there's this sense that John has a recognition that God is gracious, God is good. Jesus' name means salvation, and, uh, and John's name is recognizing the goodness and the mercy uh, of God. And so, uh, and so when, when Zechariah writes this out, all of a sudden he's immediately able to speak. Now, sometimes the biblical immediately is not the same as our microwave generation immediately, but in some sense, right away, or very soon after, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. Imagine being somewhere where someone had been unable to speak for weeks and they immediately come back to an ability to speak and they become an immediate songwriter and they begin to say what Zechariah says in this later passage. He just goes right into a soliloquy. My grandfather who went, to be with the, went home to be with the Lord back in May... Um, had gone through a period where he had had some bleeds on the brain and and at times just couldn't even make out a word and how slow of a process that was for him to get back to where he could even say small words. So imagine for these folks in this area, for Zechariah just like a light switch to just come back and they recognize, oh, okay, this is the Lord. It's not a medical issue. This is something God's doing. Verse 65, and fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea verse sixty six and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts you'll see Mary treasuring up things in her heart in chapter two Luke's gonna keep driving home that point what does it mean to treasure things up in our hearts what an interesting phrase to to have laid them up in their hearts you know one of the things that um, medical science has discovered now is that our memory is tied very specifically to our emotions. Did you know that? And so, ladies, the reason your husband doesn't remember anything is not because he's incapable. It's just because as men, quite frankly, most of the time, we just don't care. <laughs> we, just, we just don't remember as well because sometimes we just don't have the same level of emotional investment as uh, my wife's not in here tonight so i can say that uh, but for the rest of y'all you know there's just this way we, it's harder for us to have the same emotional attachment but there's this <laughs> there's this wonderful way that god's created us to have emotional attachment linked with where our minds and and our our hearts, our our inner core of who we are, you know, be invested. I I would be willing to bet if you were to sit and go through your mind tonight. You can do this later, laying in bed. Some of the clearest memories that you will have from the farthest back are the ones most attached to significant emotion. You will not remember the pre-calculus lecture from your 11th grade high school classroom. What you will remember are Christmas mornings, And you'll remember, you know, those moments where there was something going on that you were feeling on the inside. And so I believe what the Bible's driving home in Luke 1 and in Luke 2 are the ways in which God is not only dealing with the intellect of people and allowing them to see things, but He is writing things on their heart to impact their emotion, to make the kind of impact that only comes uh, when emotion uh, is, is, is realized. I, I wrote number three on your, your list here, emotion and revelation go together, Emotion and revelation go together. And now understand when I say revelation, I don't mean the the last book in our Bible. Revelation, I mean, is a term to describe when God and humanity interact specifically. And so, Zechariah has been visited by God Almighty through an angel. And in that, and through that divine working, he has received revelation. In the same way, we experience revelation every time we interact with the Word of God. Because the word of God is God's revealing his communication to mankind. And so anytime we're going to have meaningful revelation and revealing of God's truth, our emotion is going to be attached to that. You've probably known some folks through the years or at times you might have wrestled with it yourself, their faith, and they say, you know, well, I, I remember that night where I trusted, you know, once and for all that uh, I did know finally that uh, I needed to admit that I was a sinner, to believe that Jesus had, you know, was who he said he was, that he died, that he rose again. I confessed that and I believed and, uh, and that was my, you know, salvation. For, for many of us, we'd say, well, yes, my salvation was accomplished in that way. But what I believe many of us would also say, is I remember the night when on my knees God met me at my lowest point. And I remember the night when I cried out to God for forgiveness, for mercy, for help, for salvation, for compassion, and God met me. And as people of God We will only get so far if all we've got is intellect. I don't think there's a whole lot and a very long road to take when all that's impacted is our thoughts. God desires to break into our personal lives. He visited humanity for the first time in 400 years and came to a couple who'd been praying for decades to have a child. And it was in that personal revelation uh, that his revelation came. You cannot understand something theologically that you haven't understood to some extent personally and emotionally. Remember Paul in the book of Romans, I believe, where he says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. You look at that sentence and there's no verb in the sentence. So if you were to read the sentence, you say, well, how in the world does that function as a statement? The way it functions as a statement is that word at the very beginning, oh. Without that word, the sentence makes no sense. What is oh? It's an interjection. It's just a word of emotion. It's a word to say, hmm, Oh, the depths. And in the same way, our faith doesn't make any sense if there's no emotion attached to it. But when God is interworking what we understand and know about Him into our personal lives, that's where the big work, the big knowledge, the big impact comes. And so Zechariah begins, I don't know whether he sang it, I don't know whether he quoted it, we don't know. But this is what he says as it ends the chapter in chapter 1. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. I've got a few points here just to kind of walk through the passage that what Zechariah's song reminds us of. If we would be quick to skip over it and to move past it, here's some things that we would miss. Number one, Zechariah's song reminds us of God's visitation into silence. God's visitation into silence. 400 years. Remember, Pastor Brandon on Sunday morning talking about the idea that the, uh, the Hebrew children in Goshen have been waiting for 400 years and this amplification of their suffering that's continued for all those centuries. 400 years is, you know, in some ways you can make the argument it's closer to twice the history of the United States than it is to just one of our histories. What have we, some of y'all were around for the Bicentennial in 1976… We got some Disney World mugs at my parents' house from that bicentennial. They were down there. Those mugs are still in the cabinet up there. So I've gotten to see some pictures of it, even though I was born a little bit afterwards. But we as a nation are, what, about 240-some years old at this point. For 400 years, God had been silent, and Zechariah realized that the silence was broken uh, in his visit, not only to he and his wife, but to Israel. Blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. In the American Civil War, I I love Civil War stories. I love stories about Lincoln. I'm just one of those guys that's fascinated by that. Abraham Lincoln in the early year, year or two of the war, was trying to figure out some ways to move towards union and also to figure out how to move towards ending slavery. And one of the things that was a challenge was the border states that had remained loyal to the union where slavery still existed, Kentucky, Missouri, uh, Maryland, Delaware if I've got those four right. Delaware particularly was uh, was small enough that Lincoln began to think through uh, an idea to to offer up to those in Washington to say, I think it's going to be the right move for us to actually purchase, to redeem, to buy all of the slaves in Delaware and set them free. This is before the Emancipation Proclamation had come into thought process yet. And so Lincoln's first idea was, instead of emancipation, redemption. Let's pay the price that all of them would, would cost and let's set them all free in one fell swoop. Well, in the end, that didn't come to be, and many of us are aware of the Emancipation Proclamation, which ultimately, at the end of the war, would set free uh, all those who had been slaves, even in those border states. But the idea that's given here is not simply emancipation, but redemption. Emancipation can be done with an edict. Redemption costs something. And Christ did not simply come so that God could declare our freedom. Jesus came having to purchase our freedom because of God's righteousness and justice. And it was in that redemption, that purchasing, that God not only by an edict would say, well, everybody who wants to be, everybody who will trust will be free. No, he came in in, through Christ to say, your cost is this and I'm still willing to pay it even if it means the cross for my one and only son. And so Zechariah not knowing The cross and not knowing everything, speaking through the Holy Spirit, even says this great truth, that the beginning of not only visitation but redemption was being seen in God's breaking of the silence. Number three, or letter C there, Zechariah's song reminds us of Mary's child, Jesus, literally salvation. Verse 69, God's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, Now, Elizabeth was from the house of Levi, and Zechariah was from the house of Levi. So who's from the house of David? Well, we know Joseph is. If you believe, as I do, that Luke's genealogy in Luke 3 is actually Mary's line... Uh, then Mary, even though she's a kinswoman of Elizabeth, we don't know that exact relation. Some translations say cousin, but the best, most accurate translation is simply relative. She could have been her fourth cousin twice removed, or we don't know exactly how distant the relation was. That Mary's from the line of Judah as well, and so John the Baptist is not the answer to verse 69, but Jesus himself, literally salvation or our God saves, which is what the name Yeshua Uh, Jesus literally means. Number four, Zechariah's song reminds us of God's rescue of us from enemies and those who hate us. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from from the hand of all who hate us. We are growing in a world that is more or less contentious more, right? Any of you think back to how everybody got along 20, 30 years ago, seemingly what it seemed like perhaps to what it's like now? Political climate, social climate, economic climate, whatever you want to do, you name it, and it's, it's things continue to become more and more contentious in time. What a wonderful promise that Zachariah speaks, that Christ came to save us from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us and the one who hates us who more than any other creature, any other created being in existence. And he is the one in whom all the other hatred that we deal with flows from, Satan himself is the one who Jesus has destroyed in the cross and will one day destroy completely. And so we are saved from our enemies. And from the hand of all who hate us. You ever been hated before? You ever dealt with a tough situation, tough relationship? You, you deal with things that are hard. Christ has come to be in the midst of that. In verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. There's that mercy again. Letter E, Zechariah's song reminds us of God's tender, promised mercy. Look down at verse 78. Because of the tender Mercy of our God. Now, I won't sing like Elvis again. I did that a few weeks ago. That's my quota, but some of you probably heard love me tender before. We don't often like to use the word. Most men wouldn't like being called, you know, tender. But what a wonderful statement about God. Not only is he merciful, but even his mercy is tender. The tender, gentle, selfless, loving mercy of our God. Letter F, which comes from verse 74, we can serve God without fear. Zechariah goes on, he says, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve Him without fear. Here's the beautiful part of the gospel, in Christ we have already been delivered from our enemies. That there, are, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus that we have no true enemies left who really have a fight against us. And in that, we might serve Him without fear. And it's only when God has driven away our fear and we are leaning into who He is and not who we are that we might hope through the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ uh, to walk in holiness and righteousness to be be able to be who God's created us to be because of the work of the Holy Spirit moving us in that direction. We never get to perfection this side of eternity. We will come someday to stand before the Lord and we'll be reminded of uh, John Newton, I believe it was, words to say, I am not who I should be, but by God's grace I am not who I once was. Uh, That Jesus Christ is doing in us what only He can do. And so it's in that driving out of fear they were able to trust him and walk in holiness and righteousness. And so, letter G, God's casting out of our fear enables holiness and righteousness in him. Letter H, Zechariah's song reminds us of John's role in knowledge and forgiveness. Verse 77, that he's the one who will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, and then verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. You know, it is a biblical truth that we don't simply need emotion. And sometimes when we're feeling really down, what we think we need is emotion. God, will you help me feel better? Will you make me to have some sort of inspiration out of where, you know, I feel? We tend to kind of drive that way. Sometimes in order for our inspiration, in order for our lifting of our emotion, what we need is the knowledge of who God is. We need a richer, fuller, more wonderful picture of the goodness of God and the grace revealed in Jesus Christ. We need His truth to encounter our hearts. And so our hope is not simply in emotion. Aren't you thankful? Because emotion is pretty, you know, back and forth, wishy-washy at times. I don't want to have to trust in my emotion, but I am willing to trust in the unchanging truth of God. And so it's in that knowledge of salvation that John is going to begin to pave the way, not in a sense of a flash in the pan and emotion and everything else, not even in miraculous occurrences, but the knowledge of what God had called the people to and their move towards forgiveness. And then letter I, the last one. Zechariah's song reminds us of where we are apart from Jesus. Verse 79, that John had come, and I think at this point in the text we can say also that Christ has come to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace." That John the Baptist had come to reveal the one who was going to set the captives free, who was going to take the darkness and turn it into light, who was going to take the chains and loose those uh, who were in bondage. The Apostle Paul, who had been persecuting the church, thinking he was on God's errand, as he reveals later on in the book of Acts, as he's telling his story again of his encounter on the Damascus Road, do you remember he reveals then one of the questions that Jesus asks him, you know, from heaven, and he says, Paul, why do you kick against the goads? you know what goads are? Chains, cuff links of, you know, chains to be bound in or around your feet. Why are you kicking against them? That there's this way that uh, we're people who in chains, can kick and can writhe and move back and forth, and it never makes one difference except to bloody our feet. But it's Jesus, the one who sets us free, who looses us, who are in darkness in the shadow of death, and then guides our feet out of chains into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And so may tonight we be reminded of the mercy, the love the goodness of God and what it means to know Him. Let me say a word of prayer for us and then uh, we're going to hear from uh, some folks in our, our business meeting and, uh, and, and get to hear some updates where we are there. Let's pray together. Father, thank You so much for the hope we see in John the Baptist. Thank You that in John's life from the very beginning to the very end You were in charge. From the day in which he would lose his life tragically to far before where you knew his name even before his parents did, we're reminded, Lord, of the message of the Psalms, that before a day of them was known, before a day of them was set forth, that you knew each one completely. And so, Lord, may we trust in you and hope in you. Lord, would you remind us of your tender mercy and the victory that we have in you over fear, over enemies, over hatred, over darkness and death. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We look to you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.